Key Economic Releases Affecting Fixed Income Yields Insights into Sectors Influencing Fixed Income Securities How AAM Plans to Capitalize on These Themes for Your Fixed Income Portfolio The Portfolio Fix is a podcast series featuring members of AAM's investment and portfolio management team. We will discuss the timely issues affecting the fixed income investments of our insurance clients. Welcome to another episode of The Portfolio Fix, a podcast series from AAM. My name is Patrick McGeever, and I'm a member of AAM's investment team. Today, as usual, I'll be speaking with Marco Bravo, who will provide AAM's latest views of the economy. And then I'll be joined by Mike Ashley, senior analyst and co-head of investment grade strategy to talk about the retail sector. So welcome, Marco. Thanks, Pat. Um, Before we get to the topics at hand, I wanted to point out a couple items since this is likely our last podcast of the year. Uh, During our 2021 Outlook podcast, which took place on January 28th, 2021, you laid out AAM's economic forecast as follows. You said the 10-year yield would end the year somewhere between one and a quarter percent and one and a half percent. Currently, it's a touch under one and a half percent. You said the yield curve would steepen, but the increase in long-term rates would be limited. Currently, the belly of the curve is steepened 45 to 80 basis points, and long-term rates are basically unchanged. And you said we expected tapering to begin in 2022. So that remains to be seen. Uh, And then you wrapped up by concluding that the unemployment rate would end the year slightly above 5%, but the risk was that if it would end lower if the vaccine rollout was successful. So I'd say it's a pretty good report card. Nicely done. Well, uh, thanks, Pat. I don't know if that's uh, dumb luck or uh, <laughs> uh, or there's or something else. <laughs> uh, I know a lot of work went into it, so nicely done on your part. Um, the topic that we led off with back in January, though, was the Fed and its new average inflation targeting policy, which called for an average of two percent inflation over time. Obviously, inflation has been running well above two percent in recent months, and is expected to be above 2% for the first half of 2022. So I guess my question is, what did you learn from Chairman Powell's recent testimony before the Senate Banking Committee? And what do you think that means for monetary policy? Sure. Well, Chairman Powell's remarks in front of Congress uh, definitely were more hawkish than uh, his most recent comments. And with respect to inflation, uh, he basically said that inflation pressures uh, are high and it may be appropriate for them to consider uh, increasing the pace of uh, tapering so that uh, they wrap up their taper of asset purchases uh, sooner. Um, he also <clears throat> said that the use of the word transitory uh, to describe inflation developments, uh, it may be time to retire that that word. Uh, um, although he he does still feel that inflation will slow down in in 2022, and also I I think most telling is uh, his comment that 
the recovery in the labor market um, could be hampered if we don't have price stability. Uh, so the bottom line here, it, it feels like the Fed has definitely pivoted from being more concerned about a faster labor market recovery towards being more concerned about preventing inflation from getting out of control. Uh, the Fed meets again for the last time this year, next week on December 15th. And there's a very good probability that they'll announce a faster pace of tapering. Uh, and it wouldn't be surprising uh, when they update their dot plots to see the median dot for 2022 projecting, you know, one or maybe even two uh, rate increases next year. Okay. So um, we actually had a head scratcher of a November employment report. Uh, the headline payrolls missed big, yet the unemployment rate was better than expected. And given what you just said about uh, Chairman Powell's focus on uh, inflation more so than labor, I'm sure they'll be um, they'll be uh, emphasizing the unemployment rate more than the uh, employment number. But what do you make of it? Yeah, it was a little bit of a mixed message from the November employment report. And to take a step back, there, there's two surveys that are used to uh, put together the report. The first is a establishment or employer employer survey that samples 300,000 uh, business establishments, and that's where you where we get the uh, the, the, the payroll number from. And so, <clears throat> payrolls were up 210,000 uh, weaker, as you mentioned. Uh, than the the forecast of, of 550,000. Uh, and much of that weakness came from the leisure and hospitality and retail categories. Uh, both categories saw uh, sharp declines in, in net hiring following strong gains in October. In October. <clears throat> the other survey that's done is, is called the household survey, uh, where the sample of 60,000 households are used and, and the data that's collected is uh, used to determine uh, the uh, unemployment rate, uh, labor force participation. And in that survey <clears throat> suggested that the number of people employed increased by 1.1 million. Uh, so that helped push the unemployment rate down uh, 0.4 percentage points to 4.2%. <clears throat> and another positive we saw from that survey was an increase in the labor force. Uh, moving the participation rate up uh, 0.2 percentage points to 61.8%. So uh, much stronger uh, data coming from the household survey. And we think the, the Fed is likely to focus on those strong numbers and the, um, the fall in the unemployment rate. But, you know, the bottom line with respect to the labor market, um, you know, both surveys suggest uh, that the labor market continues to to recover. Okay, well, that's positive news. So um, let's wrap up by talking about the recent moves in the yield curve. Uh, what's happened in recent weeks, and what do you think's behind it? Well, we've seen a, a a fairly strong flattening of the yield curve as short-term rates have moved higher here most recently, while longer-term rates uh, haven't moved much. And so, just to put some numbers. The, the spread between the two-year and the 10-year 
uh, right around 80 basis points. That's 20 to 25 basis points uh, tighter than where we were a few weeks ago. And what could be happening kind of twofold. Um, uh, first, the, the Omicron uh, COVID uh, variant may have something to do with the potential for its impact on growth. Um, but more importantly, we think the uh, the pivot from the Fed, the more hawkish stance and the likelihood of more aggressive uh, policy from the Fed, there, uh, you know, it's likely that we may see the Fed begin to raise rates in 2022. And usually when the Fed is raising rates, the yield curve is flattening as, as short-term rates are moving higher in anticipation of higher Fed funds rates. So that's most likely what is causing or or did cause the yield curve to flat flatten here in, in the last couple of weeks. Okay. Well, that makes perfect sense given Chairman Powell's testimony. So um, that's great information, Marco. Thank you for your thoughts today and over the past year. Uh, hope you have a great holiday season. Great. You too, Pat. Thanks. Next up is Mike Ashley, our Senior Analyst and Co-Head of Investment Grade Strategy. Welcome, Mike. Oh, thanks, Pat. Good to have you here today. Uh, today, we wanted to get your thoughts on the retail sector since we're in the midst of the holiday shopping season. So uh, let's start off with the health of the consumer. What are the key indicators you're monitoring and what are they telling you? Yeah, that's the the consumer and the health of the consumer is probably the most important thing this time of year to indicate um, what what spending is going to look like during November and December uh, for holiday sales. So the things that we look at are uh, confidence numbers, um, which have been improving and kind of holding steady recently. Uh, we look at unemployment rate and the participation rate, which during November, both improved, heading in the right direction. We look at uh, credit card data and uh, outstanding balances dipped um, towards uh, after COVID of last year and have kind of been fairly flat to improve, to moving up a little bit towards uh, um, uh, uh, June of uh, this year and have just kind of Hung, hung around there, but still look like they have a lot of, offer a lot of firepower for um, for spending. Okay. And then the other uh, big thing is the savings rate, which a lot of people have talked about, but uh, we saw that number skyrocket uh, last year uh, after COVID. And that um, has held, was held high for several months and has come back to kind of a normal level now, but uh, during that period of time that has uh, had allowed consumers to build up some savings in their in their bank accounts so that's another another positive uh, indicator for future spending also a few other little things um, the stock market has been very positive this year and also if you look at home prices uh, they've also improved quite a bit so that those two things add uh, more fuel to to spending for this holiday season. Okay. Well, just about every one of those indicators that you just mentioned are, are trending in the right direction. So that's uh, positive, I would imagine, for spending. 
So looking good. Yep. Yeah, looking good. Good. Uh, so um, let's talk about what consumers are actually spending their money on. Maybe you could spend a minute on uh, like durable goods, non-durable goods, services. Of which of those segments are you expecting to see the most growth uh, this season or in 2022? Yeah, good question. So after COVID, you know, we saw a kind of a, a dip in all spending. Um, you know, right after that was happening, right in in March. Um, after that, people started going to their local grocery stores or WalMarts and and started bulking up their um, their food, their their uh, non durable goods, which would be you know paper products, food, those sort of items. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of sort of went nuts on those things. And the durable goods is, is would be more like, um, you know, a car or an appliance, that sort of things. They kind of slow down spending there. Uh, that did get did pick up a little bit uh, towards the end of last year. But uh, for the most part, that slowed down a bit where they really have been lacking is in the service uh, spending area. And these are things like doctor visits and uh, transportation, entertainment. And sort of those professional services that you typically go through, go to during the year, those those things people have not been spending money on at all. Um, so they're, you would think that um, the service area is a, an area where people would start to spend more money on. Um, now, those are things that don't necessarily build up. If you think about things like a vacation, I mean, you don't have to go on a vacation just because you didn't go on last year. Mm-hmm. But there's definitely those items in there that, um, for example, doctor visits, those sort of things that uh, people need to pick up on again and, uh, and and spend their money on. So I would expect uh, the service spending to pick up um, and probably the durable goods area to, to pick up. Um, we've heard about auto spending being down, and that's probably an area that gets that improves next year with all the issues and the uh, hopefully all the issues in the supply chain easing a little bit. Um, hopefully that area kind of picks up. Okay, so one of the key trends in the industry over the past decade has been the move to online sales compared to in-store shopping, which has benefited companies like Amazon. I'm wondering, have you noticed anything with this trend or with foot traffic now that people want to get out of the house what are what can you tell us about that yeah those those are that's a good question um e-commerce and spending or spending online is a very strong trend obviously that really um kind of sort of blew up after covid hit people weren't allowed to go to stores or most stores so they end up spending a lot of money uh online um at home so that uh it was a trend that was a very strong trend before that and it even got more um even improved that much more after covid now things that we've been seeing recently yes people um gotten more comfortable with covid and some of the rules that are out there with masks and so on and so forth and seem to be very comfortable going out being amongst people and uh, that is definitely something we've seen in the numbers. Foot traffic 
we're not at 2019 levels, but um, um, we're down maybe 10% um, or at 90% of uh, a 2019 levels, somewhere in there. Um, we're not totally back to to uh, what used to be called normal, but uh, I don't even know if it gets back to zero or if we get back to those 2019 levels again. But anyway, it, this foot traffic is improving. And what we think we saw this holiday season or this Thanksgiving, past this past Thanksgiving weekend, were more people um, going out and visiting stores just because they wanted to actually hold their gift in their hand and not have to worry about uh, ordering something online and, and not getting to them by um, Christmas. Mm-hmm. And that with um, decent weather and you know, just people wanting to get out and about and feel the holiday and so on and so forth. People are out um, out at stores and spending money. So I, I think that the e-commerce continues to um, be a big source of growth and companies have, there's been lots of innovation and technological improvements there. So it's been made very easy uh, to return things. The pricing is good. Um, it's just something that I think don't think will ever go away, especially have some of the big guys that this wasn't as big of a piece of their business, i.e. the Walmarts and Home Depots of the world. They're now, um, you know, there's more of a focus on e-commerce. So that's becoming a larger part of overall sales for them, which will make the whole pie that much bigger. So, yeah, I, continuing to see lots of growth in e-commerce, but uh, at some point, maybe it sort of evens out and uh, feels like we've seen a little bit of that recently, just um, with the fears of COVID perhaps going away a little bit. And uh, we'll just have to see how it plays out uh, over the next few months. Mm-hmm. That's interesting that uh, you think we could possibly have hit a peak in in-store traffic in 2019, given just the convenience of online shopping. That's uh, right. That could have real big implications in other sectors. We'll have to dig into that in the future. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. Um. So in each of our podcasts over the past year, we've covered the sectors, the different sectors, ESG characteristics. So maybe we can conclude uh, by spending a minute on the ESG risks of the retail sector. What can you tell us about it? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, ESG is something we always look at. And on a sector basis, it's there's a pretty low exposure to the risks, um, ESG risks that are out there. And uh, just generally, retailers, um, their business is just, they don't necessarily manufacture goods. They're just passing them through. Um, you know, if you're an apparel retailer, um, then you're getting into some more of that and there's some more risk. But generally, the risk is um, is, is pretty low. Um, then we look at sustain, Sustainalytics and it's they rate it as a as, as a pretty low in the low category and for many of the issuers that uh, we follow in investment grade it's 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 low um now there are certain things that um 
you pay attention to and those include things like labor relations and issues with unions obviously the supply chain issues that we've all been uh, talking about and thinking about uh, human rights um, having to do with some of the issues of um, you know overseas manufacturing for some of these guys and and people in warehouses and in uh across the world that are in inhumane working conditions Mm -hmm. and then of course uh um with all the online business that's happening um and use of credit cards now more than anything else you got to worry about the data privacy and and security issues so uh, those are all the things that um that pop up on risks for esg um it seems that management is kind of doing an okay job at managing managing those risks. But like I said, from the beginning, they're, they're considered to be sort of um, on the low end of exposure to ESG. So we're not so worried about it. Uh, there's a few here and there. Amazon, for example, has is been put in the um, higher risk category. And I think that just has to do with, um, well, first of all, they're just so large and there's just been a lot of antitrust issues um, and talk with with that sort of uh, uh, risk to their business. And then just working conditions. You, you hear a lot about um, workers in their, their warehouse facilities that uh, aren't getting paid enough or treated unfairly, so on and so forth. So it just happens that uh, Amazon's is just in the news quite a bit with a lot of these issues and being as large as they are and, and and uh, seen the growth as quickly as they have, uh, they seem to be one that has uh, more of the ESG risks at this point. Mm-hmm. All right, Mike. Well, that's very helpful, and it sounds pretty encouraging, um, even in light of the recent Omicron concerns. So thanks for your views on the consumer and retailers. Very helpful. No problem. Thank you. Yep. Nice talking to you, Pat. Yep. Uh, we also thank you, the listener, for taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you have any questions, please reach out to your portfolio manager or our marketing team at aamcompany.com. During our next podcast, I'll be joined by Marco and a member of our investment team to discuss a timely issue affecting the fixed income markets. Thank you. <laughs>